Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Local Earshot Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Brad Biggs. I'm in here with my co-host, Jonathan Grissom with More Bands Media. How you doing today, bud? I'm good, man. This podcast is brought to you by... Yours truly, me and Jonathan, 13 Step Tone Solutions and More Bands Media. If you're out there, you're a business owner and you want to, uh, if you're involved in the music scene, local music scene, local live entertainment, uh, give us a shout, man. Get to see if we can make something happen here between the two of us and see if we can help promote some of these guys. In here today, <clears throat> we're going to, this is actually going to be our Veterans Day episode. So we're going to have to probably pull a little switcheroo with the schedule because I actually dropped it a week earlier than veterans day the week of veterans day so ah, we'll figure it out we got plenty of content we can make that happen um brian wofford in here with us again today how are you sir i'm doing good nice to be here again uh we got a few uh we've had a big year you know it's been a big year last time you were on here i think was last veterans day <laughs> um i'm gonna take a little bit of a uh not detour but <clears throat> let's just kind of maybe bring people up to where you're at today, um, just to kind of catch people up, um, can you run through people just for people just uh, kind of what happened and and um, then we can kind of pick up when you when you got back home and, and you're trying to learn how to live right 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 yeah yeah. <clears throat> so uh, the the brief version, if if y'all want to hear the whole story, uh, episode thirty four is episode thirty four. Yeah. Uh, minus, minus the fact that I'm an amputee, because somehow I had left that yeah, out. In that this was story. out in the first one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, my story is is in the vault. Uh, if y'all want to go back and find it, but to kind of bring it all together real quick is I got hurt on September thirtieth of two thousand and four in Baghdad, Iraq, uh, doing a grain opening for a sewage pump station and whatnot, and uh, had three suicide car bombs come in and. Uh, hit our group and there were i believe it's 11 u.s soldiers injured no u.s fatalities three of us are amputees now um and then there were over a hundred iraqi civilian injuries one iraqi national guardsman was kia and there's in depending on the news article you read their different numbers i always go by the first one that i ever read because that's what sticks in my head and it was 49 iraqi children died when i got hurt big boom Big, big booms uh, and some small arms fire as well. But uh, I think uh, the that's always a great story to kind of get get position, right, to get your foot in the door, get get to be able to talk to, the, to people and for people to get that attention, you know, like that it grabs you when you start – somebody's talking about, oh, yeah, people were blown into parts. Well, and, and the idea of going off to war is kind of a human – it's kind of the dichotomy of a human being, isn't it? You're taught, you're told, "Thou shall not kill," and then, as soon as you're old enough, the government says, "You got to like, well, go." We need you to do it for this case, right? Uh, but yeah, I think I think the important part of telling your story is less about telling your story and more about telling your story to try and help others, right? So, I'm I'll be forty on the twenty fourth of November, 
this year, and I was hurt at 21. So I'm almost 50-50 now in my yeah. life before and my life after. And I genuinely think not through lack of trying, not through lack of effort on mine or even the VA side, as frustrating as the VA can be, uh, they they've they and I have, have worked together and, and tried a lot of things and, and to little, little avail. Which kind of pushed me again into uh, an area where I'm I'm split, right? You, like you brought up is thou shalt not kill, stay don't don't hurt people for no reason, or don't hurt people and all that, and then it starts oh don't hurt people for no reason, yeah. and then the you human start experience. blurring those lines, yeah. and then the government asks you to go and uh, <laughs> kill people, of course for a good cause. Uh, so that's that that dualism there, and then also uh, the dualism that came into my head when I was trying to figure out what the next step <laughs> and then that dualism that is is what is the next step to your recovery because this isn't working right well, um hey let's let's dig into that a little bit um because <clears throat> uh, me and you've you know we've we've talked extensively about this and it's it's not a knock against the quote-unquote medically approved process right absolutely not but it works for a lot of people right and, and i don't want to say that it it didn't help Gosh. me at all right it it gave me tools yeah to process everything but itself didn't do anything it didn't hit any switches it didn't help me i was still drowning two foot away from people and they're telling me to swim right it's it's that I I don't really know. It's one of those things I think that you don't know unless you know. Yeah, and to that end, I'll go ahead and, and kind of put this out there to everybody listening. Is like this is highly subjective, um, absolutely personal stories, and it's really just for educational entertainment purposes on the show. However, to that dichotomy talk, I would say to anybody, try this process before suicide. I don't think there's any just God or any any just God or man would fault me for saying that. I, so um, take that they, take take out of that what y'all want. Um, but we are going to get into some psychedelics and mer- medical marijuana, and because I mean I, I can say f- f- right away I, I've I've seen a change in you over the last couple years maybe uh, that. And I, I me, mean, I dipped my toes into. Well, I didn't dip my. I jumped in head first. But <laughs> uh, same though. It's there's something about that um, that ego shattering type of event that I I dare to say your brain at first registers at a tra- as a trauma, and the integration on the after side of it is so important. So. I know your hesitation, when you, at least the way you conveyed it to me, was that there was kind of a lot of fear just because of the unknown of what these compounds were or what they would do knowing your experiences. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I think there's, there's a mixture of, of a lot of things that, that kind of held me away from it. First and foremost is say no to drugs, right? man. Man, Nancy Come Reagan, on, that was our no. era. That's our era. Uh, so I, was, I, was, I grew up in a household that was very low income. There's three brothers, or sorry, two brothers and me, so three boys. I had two older brothers, uh, single mother raising us on her own, and she she worked a lot. 
brothers didn't want anything to do with me, really, which ended up working out my blessing. But the point being is, like, I grew up around uh, people that broke the law a lot. Some chaos. And I saw the pain that that brought my mother. And so I never wanted to bring that. So at an early age, I had this uh, neuro pathway, this neuro link in my brain that went from breaking the law and is going to hurt your mother. Don't do that. She don't deserve it. She's, she's doing everything she can to make sure y'all got what you need. Make sure that she lives the best life she can as much as you can control it. So I think that first and foremost, that's the pull away from trying this stuff is I don't want to hurt my mom. I don't want to disappoint her. I don't want to make her feel like I don't care about the lessons she's taught me or that I didn't listen. But also through that, the D.A.R.E. program and the, the war on drugs, you get a lot of villainizing of these substances. And I like to pride myself on being intelligent. And I think it would be ill-advised for anybody to take anything without looking into it. And that includes yeah. the things that you get prescribed over the counter. 100% agree. People, uh, I would suggest read, read, read. It's not for everybody, and it can cause just as much pain as it can cause recovery. Uh, uh, but, okay, was it? Uh, was it the medical marijuana becoming legal that really kind of kick-started that? Because now it's legal? Yeah, that was exactly what kick-started it, right? So uh, I, I had gotten to a point in my life where I knew I needed to shit or get off the pot, right? Something had to give. And uh, I went through a lot of stuff, and I, I got to the first point in my life where I was genuinely suicidal. And again, my mom always comes to mind in those moments. And right, yeah. I'm I'm... I would never do that because I know what it would do to her. And I but know that's not helping your right. But that yeah, doesn't help the situation a, I'm in. Such so a feedback loop. Yeah. So I've, I've got to figure something out. Well, once le weed was legalized, I, I'm not going to lie. I tried weed as a kid. I, I smoked a few times. I didn't really care for it, man. I'd get high, stare at a wall for eight hours or fall asleep or eat everything in the cupboard, then fall asleep. But I never felt like, how other people had a lot of fun on it. All right. It, yeah. it wasn't fun for me. And I just went to sleep. And I, at that point in my life, I was a pretty carefree kid. I think a lot of it was ignorance, not really seeing the world around me for what it was, but for the, for better or worse, I didn't really have a lot of stressors in my life. And again, I compliment my mother for that, but that changes when you get older and you come back with PTSD. Now you got a lot of baggage. So, yeah. I, I don't know if I just didn't think about it that way or what, but it, it, it kind of fell in place really well for me, ironically, is I remembered weed putting me to sleep. Well, I hadn't had eight straight hours of sleep since I got hurt. And that's a massive, to any, even if you're not messed up on any kind of way, if your sleep cycle's fucked, yeah. you're fucked. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and some days I would sleep I my average sleep was three hours a night. Oof. And that three yeah. hours could come at ten AM, at two AM, at seven PM, like who knows? It's just when it hits. Um tried sleeping pills and all they did was wake me up. Uh I was on Ambien and I stayed awake for seventy two hours on Ambien. Jesus. Total blackout, or you're no, like, you were no. I was awake, wow. walking around, functioning like I never took anything. Uh, 
I and processing it, looking back, I think a big part of it had to do with anxiety, right? Like I, I have this internal need to protect those around me and those I care about, and I think the idea of taking the sleeping pill that's going to put me to sleep, and now I'm asleep and can't wake up. You see in these movies yeah. that that's what people do if they're they'll give you a sleeping pill, then they'll cut you open and pull out your insides, <laughs> and you don't wake up. So in my head. I'm not going to wake up no matter what happens. So this is going to be the time that my family needs me. Somebody's going to break in to rob the house or to kidnap my spouse or whatever. And that is that pill is going to keep me from being able to function. So the anxiety, I think, offset it and just kept it wow. from working. So, so yeah, as a means of fighting the drug, your body kicks into overdrive. Yeah. So, <laughs> so like I said, I've, I've done therapy. I've done a lot of antidepressants, mood stabilizers, all this stuff. And not really helping any. And like you, I am aware that sleep is important to humans. You don't get enough of it, you can die. Yeah. Uh, and so I was like, you know what? Weed is legal. Let me at least try to get some sleep, right? I knew that it put me to sleep. So let's, let's smoke at night when you're ready to go to bed and go to sleep. Game changer, huh? And it did. It changed so much. And as that went, I kept doing it that way. And after... I can't remember exactly the time frame. I want to say a month or two. But after a month or two of pretty much just smoking at nighttime when it's time for bed, I started realizing my anxiety was lower when I was smoking. I was less temperamental when I was smoking. I could have something go awry and react to it in a calmer manner rather than a fight or flight kind of a feeling. Yeah. And once I started realizing that I started opening it up and I was like, I then moved to as long as you don't have any kind of responsibilities or any place you need to go, then you can smoke. I still, I had friends that were like, Hey, let's go to the store and grab some snacks. I'm like, bro, you can go to the store. I'm sitting my ass right here. Uh, because it, it was that built up anxiety. In right. Me. And I'm like, no, I don't want to be high in public. Again, because drugs are bad. Okay. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so that, that opened up that window. And at, at some point, I, was, I researched looking into uh, uh, actual scientific research and studies that were done with other drugs. MDMA was the first one I came across. See, I think that's about the time, man, you kind of reconnected. Um, is around because you were telling me about that we were at a party and you were telling me about that and i'm like oh i've heard because i was doing the homework on mm -hmm. the, the the va had started their research and it's like oh, how like 80 percent success rate fucking unheard of man yeah. and uh it's interesting that that was the the foray into it because that drug was already on the on the table as a as a legit possibility right but uh so this was actually this predated uh, marijuana. So I had I had kind of started looking towards alternative medicine before weed became legalized. So MDMA was my first step, and uh, that was because of that research. I'd read that research, and like you said, it was I it was north of eighty percent. I want to say I don't yeah. remember exactly, was, so don't quote high. me. Look it up. You it need to read high. it anyway. Very high. Yeah. Uh, and then they put in for a request to do a bigger study to confirm, and it got denied. This was back in, I want to say, like 2010-ish. This was shortly after my divorce, which is probably the, the emotional 
Kickstarter for this thought process that, hey, you got to do something because you can't function if you can't handle the things that are going to happen in life. Right. Uh, and MDMA, while I was on it, made it so much easier to process things and talk about things. But I didn't feel like I had enough focus and all of that to actually go about it. But with that being said, I also didn't do it the way the research is, which is you take the MDMA and then you do therapy. Right, it right. was I'm with a bunch of people at a party and we're doing MDMA. So it's not really the right atmosphere either. But at that point in my life, I was grasping at straws and I just wanted to stay afloat. I and would argue was, sorry, I would argue that Taking MDMA while around a, peop- a bunch of group, a group of people that you truly are comfortable with, is therapeutic in nature. Of course, the more people, the more possibilities things could go south. But absolutely, um, ecstasy was on its way out when when I was a kid. I remember I've, we fucked with it a little bit, but by the time it became therapeutic, I had lost any connection to that at all. I mean, yeah, and I, I never messed with it as a party drug. Uh, I say that I I would be amiss to say that I didn't while using it as a therapeutic drug also enjoy the positive sides of it in the party atmosphere sure. but i was also around the, i did it a few times uh, the first time i ever did it i was around two of the closest friends i have uh, and one of them actually wasn't that close a friend at the time it was a guy that i i would consider a brother i was the best man at his wedding love him to death uh it was him and his wife his ex-wife now uh, i'm still really good friends with both of them i think they're great people uh, on both sides of that, but uh, that that had more negatives to it than I was willing to risk uh, because of potential spinal spinal fluid leakage and and uh, issues with long term use of MDMA mm. and. And also not having the therapy that went with it, and I didn't know anybody that would be willing – that was qualified to be a therapist that would be willing to sit down with me while I dropped MDMA. And, <laughs> Integration is a uh, – but that has to be learned too, you know. I mean, So I, so I kind of stepped away from that, and then years later is when weed became legal. And when I stepped back into the weed realm with that is when things started changing and things started working. And then I was like, okay, this alternative medicine, although that first one, while it did help, it wasn't the, the fix-all that I was hoping that it would be, but which it, nothing is. It clicked. Something, something clicked. Absolutely. Something clicked. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, and it made me feel safe to talk about the things that were heavy on me. That was the biggest thing I got from MDMA, honestly, was my ability to talk to other people about the the sadness and the depression and the fears that come with PTSD because part of PTSD is this need this constant need to never show weakness you don't know and this could be just the war i was in right we're driving through baghdad and kids are clapping and singing and cheering for us to be there and adults as well not just kids it's mostly kids but adult people of all ages and then you go through that same exact street at nighttime and you get cracked with an RPG. So it's like there's no way that some of these people that are singing and cheering for us aren't also trying to kill us. It's kind of right. kind of like life though, right? 
uh, so I think that was part of it, right? So like you learn that you don't know the ones that around you are good or bad or really there for you or if they're looking to get you somehow. And this could also just be an irrational fear brought on by it, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, but either way, it that limits way, yeah. your ability to to speak freely about the things that are holding you back, which limits your ability to recover from them. And MDMA kind of bridged that gap, it allowed me to do it. And then once I did it and it felt safe, then I could talk myself into doing it at other times. That's the most I got, the most that I got out of MDMA. Uh Weed brought back my sleep, brought back a lot of a lot less anxiety and ability to think more clearly. Was the because um, my, uh, again my experience was um, the drinking going away, the weed coming in, and the sleeping starting to happen all sort of happened at the same time, and it was a massive game changer. Um, uh, so yeah, same same, same for me. Oh. Yeah, but it was. Alcohol, even to this day, like I, I don't really drink anymore. I used to drink. I, I'd go out and I, it wasn't unheard of for me to drink a, a handle by myself of Ooh, Crown yeah, in a night. Yeah. I could drink a case of beer by myself in a night and still be ready to party. Everybody else was crashing, and I'm like, come on, guys. It's not over yet. <laughs> that is insane. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> insane amounts of booze. <laughs> and I'm not a stupid guy, so I know that's unhealthy. Right, right. I had a, I had a cousin who is my mother's cousin, so he's, he's an older generation, more like an uncle, great human being, and he passed away from alcoholism. And uh, – that happening, me almost uh, – me feeling like I wanted to kill myself in a serious way uh, it, and le- weed being legalized was just kind of a confluence of coincidence that I can't be more grateful for. Right, yeah. And like you said, like I, I just kind of – when I started sleeping more and when, – when I started smoking weed, I started sleeping more. When I started sleeping more, my and my anxiety went down. Then I thought more clearly, and I, I, I guess I just didn't need the alcohol as much because I just stopped craving it. Yeah, it, like I would still go out. Like my buddies were like, "Hey, let's go drink." And I'm like, "All right, let's go drink." And I would go out and I would party and I would match them shot for shot and push them further and all that stuff, just like old times. Uh, but I, I did it so less frequent. And as I was reflecting on that, I was like, you know what? That does change a lot of your dynamic and your social life, but it's also for the better. Yeah. So it was one of those things that was just a side effect, and I saw the positivity of that side effect, so I just embraced it. Yeah. I went that's with how, it. if it feels good, I'm just going to go over and do this, you know? And and then the, the real kicker came when uh, I, I decided to stop being afraid, and so I decided to start looking into psychedelics. The... Uh, let me get a trail going here. Uh, it was mushrooms was your introduction to like yes. quote unquote traditional. Yes. Okay. Uh, so I decided I, to look into uh, psychedelics because I'd heard very positive things about uh, helping with anxiety and PTSD and all of that. But I still had a very, I don't know, feel about it. And that's a good thing. I mean, I, yeah, absolutely. I, again, I advise everybody. The, there's at this point, there is a lot of subjective research, but there's also a lot of legit research to look at. I advise anybody to do that before they decide to take the dive. 
But I think I just I bought into a lot of the propaganda too, and that's the thing you need to avoid. Yes, that's yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. So when I started researching all this, I still had this now I know irrational fear because I have PTSD and because I know it has affected me so strongly for so long. I thought I was going to take a hallucinogenic and you were going to turn into a terrorist trying to kill everybody in the house. And I was going to grab a knife and I was going to fucking kill you. Just snap. Because Mm -hmm. I knew and see to me, it wouldn't even be snapping. Right. I would be being a hero. And in my head, I could see that scene playing out is that you're trying to kill somebody and I've been there. I know what I would do if I saw somebody trying to kill somebody else. And in in my past, I, I'd had people offer it to me and I had told them no in the grounds of if if this happens, can you stop me? Because I don't think you can. And it sounds really like asshole. Little aggro. But it's, Little aggro. <laughs> but it, it's a genuine – it was a genuine fear for me. And yeah. I'm like, no. And – uh when I decided to do, finally do it uh, the first time, it was mushrooms, and I did it around a guy that is a professional MMA fighter. He's a bigger dude. Uh, so yes, fit, he could good take guy. You. <laughs> uh, and and he's a good human being. He is one of those guys that I think if he come and hang out on one of our smoke sessions, he'd fit right in and and give us a perspective that we were probably knock us on our socks and be like, ah, oh, I didn't think about that. Former cop. Uh, Stepped away from it by his own choice. Uh, I don't want to get into why he did or didn't. I've heard it secondhand, but I don't know yeah, how much give me that. His, give me his info when we get out of here. I'll I can do out. that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, great guy. But basically, I, I felt comfortable doing it around him because I did think he could stop me if in worst case scenario. Also, this same guy had saw me at another party and they were talking about it. And I, I had made the comment, the only reason I wouldn't try that is this. And he laughed at me and he goes... That's not it's not a, a real thing. That, Let me that tell you won't what. Happen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and now I know this. But so I did that and mushrooms helped a lot. And uh once I saw the benefit of them, it was it was almost like that that sheltered kid that gets away from home the first time, right? Because mom has always told you that this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, and these are the reasons these are bad. And then you experience it, and you realize that's not what you said. So you think weed, right? Weed was really the biggest first one. Um, And they have Reefer Madness was a propaganda film made where they were talking about people murdering their whole family because they tried weed just one time. And now we know that weed doesn't act like that. As it, if it does, you got something in there with your weed. Right. Um, or something or, in your yeah, head. That's, that's you, not the weed kind of thing. Uh, so is those things. Is when you start realizing that not only were you led astray, but you were led wildly astray. And not, not even for the reasons they're saying. So then you really start questioning things when you already question things. And so you start doing your own research and you, you start finding out that I think the only recorded death on mushrooms that I've been able to find was like a – no, it was LSD. Was it LSD? Well, there was an elephant that died. It was in a research program. Hmm. It was I can't remember which compound it was. But they, they used a hallucinogenic on an elephant for a research study, and they had an animal handler administering this. Well, this animal handler uh, also dosed himself. Oh, jeez. And when the elephant started having effects, 
it started acting differently. It, yes, it, that should happen. <laughs> but I think with him also being dosed, he wasn't thinking as calmly and panicked. And he, well, when he hit him with the the uh, pull him out of this medicine, uh, I believe what my understanding is that the the recovery meds, the anti psychedelics. Uh, medication that he injected the elephant with is actually what killed it. There's there's been recorded deaths of people on LSD, but not from LSD. It's it's. I mean, you would have to consume a massive amount. It's not a toxic yeah. drug to your system. Most of these psychedelic compounds are almost exactly like the serotonin molecule. Your body. Yeah, but uh, that's that's a slippery slope because you can change one molecule and it's completely different. Right, you're right. Man. Yeah, that's the thing with the NNDMT, 5-MeO-DMT. Yeah. Totally different. But if you look at the molecular structure, it, it is very, very, very close to the serotonin molecule, which makes sense why your body would take to it. I'll say that. Absolutely. It Absolutely. makes sense wh- how your body would integrate and it's, it. And it's why it feels good. Yeah. Right? Serotonin feels good. Exactly. Exactly. Um. But beyond that, like, yes, these are great side effects. Never felt more serenity in my life. Uh, but beyond that is that it – I'm not a doctor, but my understanding and from my experience trying to explain how I feel now versus then is it changes neuropathways. It, it, is, it was originally in the, in the 60s when it was first coming out. And when it came out as this party drug, it was originally tested and claimed to be a cure for alcoholism. The guy that started AA. And I can tell you without a doubt that after I took DMT. All right. uh, We haven't had to do the storm siren pause in a minute, but yeah, it's all good. Um, We're we're leading off uh, uh, with uh, leading up to DMT, which is that's a. Ooh. Uh, as far as bless you, as far as uh, the mushroom trip, uh, did you did you did you just go all the way on that first one, or did you kind of ease into it? Oh, absolutely not. I am a I am a cautious and scientifically minded, uh, and so like not knowing that, and still at some level, although my research has had coincided with what I had been told about. Yeah, that's not how this works. I still, at some level, had that fear. Right, right. And also knowing that I had that fear and knowing how subjective set and setting is, or at least not knowing at this point, but being told how important set and setting is, kind of built up more anxiety about it. You know, So it was this kind of set up for failure, but it didn't end up being that way. I was, I was with some, some experienced friends in that department and, and who I consider great human beings. And they they kind of hung out with me, and I, I didn't have a bad trip. I, I had a very mild trip. Matter of fact, at first I I didn't have any effects and had to redose. Yeah. Uh, but even when when my friend gave me the first dose, they told me that this is just a taste. This is a nibble. This is nothing. And I couldn't tell you how much it was. As a matter of fact, I even said to him, I was like, I don't know how much that is, but I trust you. Which is a bad idea when it comes to uh, <laughs> drugs and most people. Uh, make sure you trust trust this person before you do anything like that. Also, don't take my advice. 
because uh, he's not a doctor. Entertainment and <laughs> entertainment purposes only, folks. Um, but so when I redosed, then I got some effects and I got some euphoria feeling. Uh, and I think the first time I truly noticed any kind of visual, like what you would consider woo woo, if you had never developed sure, uh, sure. experienced psychedelics, uh, was I went to the bathroom and they had wood grain cabinets and I could see the wood grain kind of breathing, right? Fle- flexing in and out and kind of waving at me, but just barely, almost as if like, I'm I'm looking at I'm like did I see what I right. think I saw you know if you look right at it barely. it'll go away kind of yeah yeah uh, and that was my first experience and it was about a year before I did it a second time because I was processing it thinking about what it did the dosage that I took uh, again not knowing how much it was but knowing that I saw other people take a whole lot more so I was I knew that it wasn't a heroic dose. And uh, then fast forward, uh, I uh, went on a different time with a different group of friends. And this group I had a couple trip uh, days with and gradually got braver on my dosage. And uh, at some point I took three and a half twice. So I ended up taking seven grams. And uh, That's... uh that's a lot. Yes, That's yes, lot. yes. That is a heroic dose. It's a heroic dose. dose. So we'll segue into DMT, uh, it's, and it's interesting to document this because we, we kind of this, – this compound found its way into both of our lives pretty much at the same time. Absolutely. And yeah. the results were, again, totally subjective and very personal, but I would say a net positive in both of our worlds. Absolutely. Uh, individually. Um I did it a little. Uh, I didn't really uh, process it as most people should be advised to. Um, I basically went and just mowed through a couple of grams. Yeah, in definitely a, not advised. A couple of weeks, and I mean, I'm back to back to back to back blast offs. Not advised. Not not um, advised. But I was just like you. I was kind of at a point where it's like, oh, fuck it. You know, what's the worst that could happen? Um, so. In in your experience leading up to that, because I mean Joe Rogan making it popular and it's become such a talking point, I don't want people to get into this as if it's a party, because right. it's 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 not. It's a, it can be a pleasant experience, but I would not call this a party for sure substance of any kind. Um, what was your experience with it as far as uh, leading up to the big one, the the, the blast well, off? Well, I would say that. Uh, <laughs> After after all of this, these experiences that I've shared with you guys, uh, uh, I went through a time period where where uh, I had some stuff happen in my life, and it, it felt like a bunch real quick. And it was right around uh, COVID and all that. Yeah. And I, uh, I I got so suicidal that I, I like I thought about it, and I had to talk myself out of it. And at that point, it was. It, I, I went through this whole thing, and I know from the outside point of view, it may look at, well, you did all these substances, and then you became suicidal. Well, maybe that's what caused it. And I, I would argue that it's it's quite the opposite, is that doing these substances unlocked my ability to process this stuff, and it, and it made it to where I could no longer lie to myself about certain things. I'm not so 
so full of this did everything that I think that there's not still things I'm lying to myself about. But the things that it revealed to me about me, I can no long, never put them back in the box, right? right? I can never pretend like these aren't flaws that I have anymore. But I do know, looking back, that I probably be, probably would have argued with somebody had they told me I had these flaws. Uh, and I think it's seeing seeing things differently afterwards and it's it's kind of like the the same thing like I said with the with the drugs is that once you realize that uh I said the name of the movie earlier what's the the pop movie propaganda movie is oh reefer madness, reefer madness. Yeah. once you realize that that was put out by the government to make you feel a certain way against this thing and then we got quotes from Nixon's aid where he says specifically that they had two enemies at that time, and that was the African-American man because of the civil rights movement and the hippie because of Vietnam and all of that. And in order to alienate these two groups, we attached psychedelics to the hippies, and we attached heroin to the blacks, and we demonized these two things. Call it a war on drugs. Yeah, and and now we can put these – as long as we can get society to connect these things subconsciously to these two groups, they don't even have to think it's right. But if you can subconsciously think that, then now I can demonize the drug, and it has that lingering effect that it hangs on to this group. Uh, yeah, demonize the drug. Go to a war on drugs in big quotes, but it's, it's a war on people. I mean, that's what it is. So I think it's kind of like that, right? You see that, and now you can never unsee it. Like it's now, it's you're questioning everything the government does because ah, like, yeah. but you also realize that there are quacks out there that question everything yeah. the government does, and you don't want to be that guy. But you also want to question things in a healthy amount. You don't want to accept things for what you're told they are either. And it's very much like that, is that DMT opened up these channels in my brain where I realized I was propagandizing the shit out of myself. (laughs) Uh, And once I realized that, I was able to actually face the problems I was having instead of masking them in my alcohol, in my violence in my anger. And I, I do not even come close to claiming that I don't still have bouts of the old me. But I am so much more the old, old me, the kid that I was growing up and the kid that I missed after PTSD. I'm so much closer to being that man now that there's no way I would go back. There's no way that I would take this away. And again, going back to who I am as a person, that, that feeling of a need to help and 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 be there for other people. Uh, I know I've been on this show a few times, and we've talked about it every time about whether I was open to talking about my experiences with psychedelics, and I always pulled back. And I, I think ultimately that that part of me, that that part that wants to help and fills that pool, that it's your job. Uh, that I realized that for an average person to get out here to get on a radio and say this stuff, he might lose his job. I'm retired. They can't take my job away. From me. Uh, I I have a significant other that's absolutely amazing. She she is also a big part of this whole process of me being honest with myself and processing things properly and dealing with things the right way. But uh, 
she already knows about this stuff and accepts it for for what it is and and is healthy in questioning my intentions went with what I'm doing and all of that. So I think all of this is important, but it, it's, it all puts me into a place where I can talk about this without the fear of public recourse for the most part, where most people can't. Yeah. And if I'm not willing to do that, then nobody ever will. And then we don't ever get to the point where, Having a therapeutic DMT experience with a professional observed in a safe setting isn't ever normal. And so now you got people that are going to shady places to get this thing that is keeping them from killing themselves. And they have to have it to because nothing else is working. And it puts it in a safe place. And we never get there because right now with society, we think about alcohol. There's nothing wrong with it. Right. That's the way society. We all know that it's bad for you. We all know that alcoholism is bad and we all know somebody that we're like, "Ooh, man, he, he's a little too much. But it's normalized in society when it's one of the worst things for you. It's so bad for your body and your brain. But weed and psychedelics haven't had this same evidence. And it may come out later on that it does. But as of right now, we got to go by our best science. And why do we have alcohol as okay and weed is on the fringes now, right? It's getting integrated into normalcy, and I think that's a good thing for the mental health of our of, of the world, honestly. And I think psychedelics need to be following in that path closely behind it. And I think once that gets into the mainstream, I think the alcohol takes care of itself because I don't think that alcohol in itself is, is evil, right? I'm not going to – uh, put up propaganda against it the way people did weed because it's not right. It's it's the excess use. It's it's how you're doing it and all of that. And I think no matter what the compound is that you're using, whether it be for therapeutic or recreational purposes, I, I think that how you use it and the amount you use it in is is going to have effects, good or bad. But if we never get it normalized and if we never get it tested in the government and looked at as a legitimate thing, not just a, hey, let's do this study so that we can eliminate it, right? Because I think that's what happened with the original uh, psilocybin experiment that we were talking about before when they had the 80% success rate and asked for another one and got denied. Because the VA is currently doing research now on multiple compounds. Uh, but back then they got denied, and I think that's what it was, is the government wanted to do that because they wanted to show there was no change. And when there was a huge change, the government wasn't ready to accept that. Oh, yeah. And I think over time they processed it, and they're like, okay, maybe this is something we need to do. Well, and and like you said, with Nixon and the rush to criminalize everything, it's it's like you have people in the scientific world saying, whoa, especially about DMT, whoa, this is a compound found throughout Nature. Yeah. You're literally making something illegal that is in an overwhelming amount of everything. So this, the, the absurdity, it, it just, especially after doing it, the absurdity yeah. of that stuff becomes way focused, but it's, it's, it's like smoking weed for the first time and, and then watching reefer madness. Right. Right. It's just it's absolutely absurd. It's like, what is what? But, um, when it, with the, the tryptamines or the DMT uh, specifically, um, 
it is such a uh, overwhelming experience that it it is kind of one. It's difficult to do properly. It's not an easy thing to dose and vaporize uh, efficiently and properly. So it takes some practice. You got to really be with somebody who understands how it how it does. And then there's also this unconscious or super conscious, uh, almost an anesthetic effect physically, but your mind is just kicked into overdrive and, and you have this, I don't know. Some people may say it's akin to a near death experience. I, I don't, I, 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 I don't know what it is, but I know it, it, people come out different. Yeah. I know we've talked about it. And, uh, through my injury, uh, another thing I didn't touch on in, in the recap of my story is, I was I was clinically dead for thirty seconds, and they I had bled out, and uh, I I have my I had three stages of DMT experiences at different times. Uh, the very first one was almost a mushroom esque experience, right? I stayed in the room, and everything just looked real pretty and sparkly low, low lights. Uh, yeah, and that was that was like uh, I was, was mixed in with marijuana as well, so it was, it was one of those things. And that was a brilliant experience, that over, overwhelming feeling of unity and everything's going to work out and like don't stress so much. That kind of overall takeaway was what I got from that experience. The next experience I had was my first attempt at straight vaporizing. And I took uh, what the community would call a blast-off dose. Uh, it was like you take this much, you're, you're, you're going to go there. through and experience DMT for sure. And so I did that, and uh, there was a, the uptake portion. I was still in the room, but it quickly yeah, it hits like was a, not there. Yeah, it's like a and truck. you have in this experience. I had like an amnesia esque experience. I don't really remember it after the going up. I remember certain visuals, and then just nothing, and then I woke up. Almost like I took a nap, right? Uh, and then the time after that was the breakthrough experience that I think has changed me and the way I look at things and the way I treat try to treat other people. I think it was the first thing that actually impacted me enough that I stopped letting my anger and pain get lashed out to other people. Did it affect you in in the uh, not to get too like woo woo here, but like the the whole mind body spirit relationship? Did it affect that at like a deeper level that you maybe never experienced before, or was it just a beautiful experience that was like open? Maybe that there's just more to this than what I'm seeing. Man, it, it was a lot of that. But before we get into that, I, I do want to kind of pull full circle back to the uh, the death experience. Sure. Um, yeah. So the the blackout experience I had. After I had that, I, I, I've talked to you and I have other people that I talked to about it as well, uh, to process it almost the same as, like I said, with the MDMA, I didn't have somebody that I could do therapy with afterwards. Well, this time I was like, fuck it. I got good friends. I got friends that'll tell me how they see it, not how they want me to hear it. Uh, so I just started talking to you guys and getting it from multiple different perspectives and, uh, but anyway, talking about that experience, that blackout experience, and talking about DMT, in retrospect, I remember coming back to it. And I remember after the fact, I was like, there's just something, like I've been there before. I've done that. 
I've never done DMT, but I've done that. Like I know that familiarity. Uh, and yeah. Uh, in after I had my heroic dose and the breakthrough after that, to where I actually experienced the other side, didn't have the amnesia. It was after that experience that it just one day I just I was I was playing fucking video games. I was playing Xbox, <laughs> and I looked over at my cousin. I was like, "That's it." He's like, what are you talking about? You know, he thinks I'm an idiot. And uh, I was like, it was, that's what it felt like when I died. Like that amnesia experience, the all black, everything stopped. And then I just woke up and here I was. That's what it felt like when I died. That, that is exactly what I felt like. And I know there's some research going on trying to figure out if, if we have active DMT going yeah. on constantly in our brain. Uh, the mouse, the mice experiment shows that it has been found in mice actively at all times. So it's, it's thought that humans are similarly in, in kind. And to me, that genuinely makes sense. And I, I, my non-scientific, not a doctor opinion on it is that your body dumps a, a tremendous amount of DMT, at least, uh, in comparison, right? DMT, yeah. it takes very little. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think when, it's a trauma response, yeah. in my opinion. I, I think what yeah. it is is your body reacts to this great trauma, not just trauma, this great trauma that is potentially going to kill you by giving you this so that it gives you that euphoria, that sense of and everything's going to be all right. And you're and, gone. Yeah, and you have no control of yeah. it. You can't stop it. Uh, but you also – you're not – that makes it sound like it's dangerous, right? Like you might sure. take this and yeah. then stab somebody, and that's not the case. You're not getting off that couch. You're, yeah. It's it's There's it's a an, bit of a paralytic. Uh, yeah, uh, that's fair. That's more fair than saying it's an anesthetic because yeah. you don't you don't go numb, but you, yeah. You and if I touch you, yeah. you you're aware that I touched you. You're not moving though. If it's I talk like, to you, you'll respond. Uh, but you're also not jogging around the block, right? You're not right. going to the store. Uh, I say that, and somebody's going to comment on ah, the thing saying, "Oh, I go to the store." There's all the always time. outliers, man. Uh, but it was, it was, it was definitely. I, I don't even know where we're at here. I got well, the big one, the big, the big, the the. Okay, so so then after the the death experience, and and I realized that that I think that's what that is. I genuinely think that's the way it works, and it's there to calm your heart down so your heart doesn't blow up on you, stuff like that. Uh. Moving on beyond that, like how, how DMT helped me is um, when I took the dose after that, I I took a little bit less, and that sent me to the moon, huh? I, past the moon. And, and <laughs> I, I've got notes. I, I've got stories. I've told many people uh, trying to analyze it and figure it out. I would wake up in the middle of the night, like startle awake, but not in a scared sense, because I remembered something in my dream or I was – I would actually have uh, like uh, flashback experiences to my DMT trip in my dream or when I would get uh, – when I would smoke weed, I would get small feelings, not really a full flashback. But it was like, oh, that that little split second, I felt that tingle that you smell or whatever. It. You smell yeah. it everywhere yeah. for some reason, yeah. Uh, but I would wake up in the middle of the night like startled awake like I figured it out or it finally made sense. And I would pull up my phone and I would take some notes on what that meant and what it was. And my big experience was kind of – there's a lot 
There's a lot. Uh, <laughs> that's the, just, that's putting about as mildly as possible. The the, uh, <laughs> the biggest one that that really took the most analyzing and trying to figure out is I was. I think in my experience, I the, and there are entities in this DMT realm, and I know that makes you sound crazy automatically. Somebody listening automatically checked out. Like, ah, yeah. oh, I was with this guy until he said there were things talking to him. In if this. you know, you know. Yeah, you know. But there are entities there, and I don't. Maybe it's your subconscious. Maybe it's your own awareness talking to yourself in your head. Maybe that's where these entities come from. I don't know. I don't never. I've never been told anything by those entities that I didn't, at a deep level, already know. I maybe just didn't want to admit it. Man, I want to say that I agree with you, and ninety nine percent of the time I do. But like, there were times we would talk about scientific shit I'd never looked into, and then you'd be like, "Oh, there's a whole theory on that. That's called blah 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 blah." And then I look into it, and I'm like. Oh yeah, that's exactly what it was. And it I don't know that they told me these things. It was just more of a Oh, these things make sense. Yeah. You know, like this makes sense this way. It falls in place. Well, when you see that type of fractal geometry at that uh intense of a level, it's it does. It it I don't know, something something uh connects in there. I think I think what it is is when you have that experience and it, like you said if you know, you know. When you have that experience, reality as we know it then comes into question, right? Yeah. No matter what your experience, you can question whether somebody's being honest. You can question whether your spouse loves you or not. But does this table exist? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Confidence. And then you take DMT and I don't know that this table exists. One breath away. And then you start looking into science and wave function and that Particle Science duality. says that when a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it, it does not make a noise because the tree doesn't exist well, if there's not an observer. And one thing, I, I, I've said this uh, way since DMT, is like the speed of light as a concept. As an electrician, I'm very comfortable with the speed of light being the universal constant. That's how a lot of the equations check out. But then it's like uh, on the other side of this, you're like, oh, wait, no, it's not just the speed of light. Like That's literally the processing speed of the entire fucking universe, man. That's crazy. And I think this is a great time for another disclaimer is we're not scientists. <laughs> not scientists. Uh, we're not trying to make these connections to paint some conspiracy theory that you guys then run down. We want you to know that the DMT gives you an experience that makes you question reality. Well, and, and there are some science out there, and there's science that conflicts. So not all of it's right. So we're not saying because of this experience that means this. Uh, it, I just mean that it, it gives you a different perspective of looking at things, and a perspective you never would have even considered as an option before the DMT experience. And that's important because I think that is why it's helped me with my PTSD. It's because I can now look at my situation from a perspective that I wouldn't before, right? Zoom out, you mean? Or? I, I think it's – so an example, and it, it's going to be exaggerated so it makes sense, but it's like I never thought I was the problem. It was PTSD that was the problem, right? But when PTSD hits you – and your response is to treat those around you like shit because they said something that triggered your PTSD. So it's automatically their fault. This is a narrative that your brain paints for you and presents to you as absolute fact and that there's no way that it's any other way around this, that that person had ill intent. 
And so then you can justify treating them like shit. But then they're going to then not treat you as well as they have in the past, which in your head is going to confirm that, no, they're just shitty human beings. So it's okay to treat them like shit or it's okay to snap at them. The confirmation bias. Yeah, and and it's internally doing this, right? And I think when you do the DMT, it turns a lot of that off. It allows you to look at the other perspective and be like, oh, well, no, yes, PTSD is at fault here, but I made decisions along the way that avalanche this shit to a point that it didn't need to get to. And that is what DMT has given me back is the ability to process it and keep from doing that sometimes like anything the, yeah, the progress perfect, forward yeah. isn't all forward, yeah. right? You step backwards from time to time. Uh, and I think that's the biggest thing about that chemical for me that has changed everything. And it, it changed the way I looked at the world changes the way I treat people. It, I don't think there's a thing about me that hasn't been impacted by it. I I, I know I know when I was uh, blasting off that first round, uh, you you said you were concerned for me, and then when you broke through, reality was pretty slippery for you for a couple of weeks there. I was kind of worried yeah. about you, but uh, so, I mean, it seemed like uh, that's what I'm, I want to hit on the integration part because that is so important. Um, when someone, whether an ego death is drug induced or natural, like a, a death of a close loved one can shatter someone's ego. Absolutely. Um, it has given me a lot more pause to when addressing people um, and learning at, through the integration process. Because when you're talking to somebody like uh, it's when they say reality is slipping away or slippery. I know that at a level through DMT that I was like, yeah. oh shit, like yeah, yeah, that's a that's a that's a big. I, I I understand what that means, and before I don't think I could have ever really realistically put that in my head. And and I think that's kind of why me and you both have come to the conclusion that it's not for everybody, and why the disclaimer is important. That like, hey, this is. This is your own journey. If you want to look into it, that's that's your business. Don't do it because we told you. Right uh, is. Yeah, I I had uh, like a 20-minute experience, which is a, a long experience for DMT. DMT is very short-lived, very short half-life. and A lot uh, all at once, man. Yeah, it's usually like five minutes in the That's, experience. In, in the place, yeah. yeah. The, the rest is coming and, down. And mine w- was about 20 minutes. But in that 20 minutes, I can't remember the number. I had an exact number. And it's funny. It's funny because I say I had a number of infinities, right? (laughs) I experienced infinity a number of times. And in this, I was was seeing all of – like multiple realities at the same time. And I – it would go into infinity and I would watch reality fall apart and get destroyed – and then it would pop back up into existence, and then I would do it all over again. And the whole time I'm trying to process something or fix something to try and keep it from falling apart. And I also – they the entities – this is what I got into when we got on the <laughs> uh, area of the entities. Uh, so the entities took me – or the entity. There was one entity. It took me to every person on earth, and it – showed me that they are me now at that moment i took it as literally like me like i the way i explained it was like multiple personalities in movies they talk about like they're all sitting in a waiting room and one person has the the light 
right? So they're in control of the body. The other ones are just sitting in a waiting room waiting. So the way I explained this experience was almost like the earth itself was my waiting room and everybody on it was a version of me, right? Looking back now, I think it was meant more figuratively, right? It's, it's more like, <laughs> hey, we are all the same. I can right? assure you I am not you. Yeah, right? <laughs> that's exactly what but I would that's say. That's exactly what you would say. <laughs> uh, but I think it, it mostly means like, you know, just because, for instance, the big bad right now is Russia, right? Everybody – but ultimately, 99.9% of the people in that country – are just like you and me. They just happen to be born there. And so that's where they're from. Like we didn't move to Moscow and then decide, nah, I'm going back to Oklahoma. You know, we were just born here. This is where we live now is the way it is. And we have this tribalism in the world. I know that's something that always comes up at our conversations because I always bring it up because it almost irks me that I feel like tribalism is one of the most necessary things on earth for our survival but it's also the reason for all of our detrimental. toxicity. <laughs> it's detrimental uh, to our existence yeah, as well. Because, I mean, our whole life we're framed <laughs> that way, right? Like, uh, it's family first. It's us versus them. Uh, if you had siblings, usually you kind of get that feeling, right? You go to a daycare for the first time. It's like, I got my brothers, so we'll be all right. But all y'all, I don't know about y'all, right? So it's uh, you versus us. And then you get into sports growing up, and your team's really right, good. Everybody right. else, they're evil, right? It's you paint it as a good and bad. Now you push that up into high school and uh, on into the military. And now, for me, it was Iraq, right? The insurgents, they're bad. We're the good guys. We're doing the right thing. They're doing the bad thing. And I think that paints a picture in your head that makes it hard to get rid of sometimes. Yeah. That's, that's one thing I will say, too, uh, cautioning people is a lot of times – on the other side of these things, you're left with a lot more questions than answers. Yeah. And, uh, the, again, the integration is is so tantamount. And, and I don't mean that in a racist way at all, right? Like, I have never felt racist or hate or anger towards Middle Easterners. But I also, if I don't know somebody and they present as Middle Eastern, especially if they're in traditional wear, nothing wrong with that. But if I'm in a public area and somebody in that area is dressed like that, I am going to feel a heightened level of anxiety. Right. So that's what I mean by it's hard to get rid of that picture. And for some people, that anxiety and that fear that that they have no part of, really, it's all you, right? That fear is what a lot of people end up turning into racism, right? Is because they can't let go of the fact that this is it is if I think it, it must be true. Right. So that's kind of that whole thing that I was talking about. DMT broke that in me to where I was able to be like, no, this wasn't one of those situations. I had that problem. I was always able to do that. But for a lot of things with myself, with my anger, my lashing out, I'm sure if I went step by step through my relationships and I know some of them I have, I've been, I've been that guy that sent exes messages on Facebook because I'm going through shit and I'm seeing my fault and stuff and almost like a 12 step program never went through it. But part of that I know is making amends. Right. And I, I don't want that person. If I gaslit them and made them feel to blame, I don't want them to carry that with them. So I want to be able to extinguish that light that I lit that gaslight. And so I've reached out to, some of my exes about that stuff. I'm friends still with most of them. So most of them didn't end too badly, but I think that's the biggest 
part of, for me, integrating the DMT into my life and into those around me is really processing how it changed the way I thought and how that changes the way I deal with people. And I don't know, it's, it's, it's a, and I think I see a lot of the microaggressions that the racist will use. I, I say racism because that's an easy one and it's kind of been in the country uh, lately in the news. So, uh, I, I lost it. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. It. Moving on. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, well, as far as uh, okay, we can kind of start maybe bringing it up to a wrap. Um, I'll ask this. Um, oh, I got it. Hold on, I got. All right, it. go ahead. So, so what I was saying is like there are things that, and I know at some level I'm taking it too far, but like there are memes that are out there that are micro racist memes. And good people are sharing them because they see some sense of humor or it reflects their life some way. But then when you break it down, this is really condoning this behavior, not laughing at yourself for being wrong, right? And I think that's the line is that when you see this shitty thing that I've done in my past and you share a post that talks about it, are you sharing it because you're like, ah, this was a toxic thing I did and I shouldn't do it? Or are you sharing it because you're like internally like, ah, see, this is normal. Everybody does this. And I think that's that's a big part of it. For for me, it it made me not able to lie to myself about, oh, this is this is the way everybody is. It made me see it for what it is. But it, again, I'm honest with myself enough to know that I could be mis misreading that too and reading too far into it. <laughs> Turtles all the way down. That's, that is one way. thing. Again, all the, way. the the DMT experience will definitely give you a lot of that whole, Jesus, this is all just one big fucking feedback loop. That's all this is? Yeah. Loop <laughs> after loop after loop. That's all I talked about Yeah. Uh, for for about a week after my, my big experience was – just the loops man everything is a loop everything comes back to itself well and um like i said we can get to to kind of wrapping it up i mean um has it would you say yes or no it has had a net positive on your life absolutely without a doubt absolutely net positive but i would also say that i would be willing to bet that there are people in my life that know me through social media mostly that would argue that I am not the, that it did not. Right. Because I was very much the, the party guy, the, uh, I don't know, I guess the playboy style lifestyle. And I shifted strongly away from that because I saw that that wasn't the way I wanted to live. Do you feel like you would have probably come to that realization at this point in our lives anyways, like late thirties, maybe, maybe just, winding down maybe i don't know hmm. i don't know but i know that dmt made me be able to take that and see it for what it is and not be mad at myself for it be okay with it but yeah. also realize that it was something i needed to change yeah um i want to address this too because um i want to make it fair um any negatives? Um, I, I, I'll start because I want everybody to just, if you're listening, uh, a breakthrough is, is exciting. It is exciting. But I would argue um, that the brain might even chalk that up as a trauma. Because um, the, it, man, coming out of it, if, it's almost like getting knocked out. Like you're just kind of in a daze. It takes a minute to 
to get your feet back underneath you. And uh, that's kind of why I feed into the, you know, if these experiences happen in moments of massive trauma where you 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 think you are going to actually die mm-hmm. and people have these similar experiences i i that's my thought that it's a trauma response that we have in here in hidden you know and it's it's kind of one of those if you know you know but uh, as far as long term negatives i can't chalk any up um it took me about a week to or i thought it was a week maybe a few days to integrate that first big breakthrough I had. Um, but looking back on it now, I think, I think it's, I still pull things from that and and use it. I I would agree. I, I, there's definitely negatives. Um, the one you're mentioning, I I think what it is, is if you want to do DMT, like be willing and ready to do the footwork and it's going to be more than you think it's going to be. Uh, I think like, Going back to what I was saying before is when DMT hits, it gives you, it shows you things about yourself. And then you have the choice to either be like, yes, that's me. I need to fix it or to lie to yourself. That's going to be very difficult to do that. that (laughs) Right. But you're going to be aware that you're, you have this flaw or this ego issue or whatever it is for at least a period of time. And I think for some people, Depending on what the skeletons in your closet are, that can uh, that can be very heavy, yeah. right? Like, and I think there's the other side of it. I think if you have some psychological predisposition, if I I have a brother that is diagnosed schizophrenic, um, I genuinely I am I not a scientist, not a doctor. I don't know which way it would go for him. I could see it snapping everything into place for him and and fixing his brain also i could also see it pushing him so far into his schizophrenia that he never comes back and he's not himself uh so yes i think there are definitely risk involved i don't think that most of those risks are actually physical right i do suggest because it is a bit of a paralytic that you lay have, down. you have oh, a sitter, yeah. yeah, yeah, and you lay down, lay right? Down. Because you want to lay down so you don't fall and hurt yourself. But you're also laying down, so if you do throw up for whatever reason, I, like I said, you're mostly there to where you can move and stuff. But there, I had one experience where I blacked out, so I don't know if I would have been able to move in that experience. Yeah. So I think you should have somebody sitting. It's it's a short lived experience anyway, and uh. Make sure you're in a safe place. Approach it as a therapeutic. Don't approach it as a party. Because if you approach it as a party drug, you're going to get what I've gotten called the cosmic bitch slap. It's a complete shutdown. And it is... That's not a good feeling, man. So, yeah, I, I agree with you, man. Do your homework. Do your do the footwork. And be willing to integrate it appropriately. I mean, because... It's going to confront you with a lot of things you might not like, and leave and you, you might not be ready to deal with you. Leave with a lot of a lot more questions than answers. But I will say, on the other side of it, a, a year or well, maybe uh, eight months or so since the last real, real big one, um, my soul's pretty light. I will say, yeah. and I, I've I've heard it from people too that I'm I'm on the I'm I'm better. <laughs> Just say that. I, I would also say, like we both talked about, both of us <laughs> being at a like. 
bottom of the barrel, uh, rock bottom kind of spot where it's like, okay, we got to do something. So when we're, we got slapped in the face with these things about ourselves, we were already at the bottom. So it's like, we, we'd already decided we have to gotta go, go up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so <laughs> if you're not at that bottom, I think you're also at a higher risk of getting slapped with these things and be like, I'm not ready for that and push it to the side. And then you're going to go through this time period where you know that you're doing this shitty thing, but you don't have the energy to change it for whatever reason. And that, that is hard for a lot of people to deal with when they see that in themselves. Yes, totally agree. Um, well, where do you think, where does this go? I mean, like, uh, as a nation, your opinion, obviously. I mean, we're voters, but at the end of the day, if it's not on the ballot, we can't vote for it. Yeah. So um, me, I'm a libertarian. You know how I legalize it all. But uh, I would be happy to meet the government in the middle and say, let's study it. Let's, let's, get, let's get trials going, man. Let's, let's do this. But... I, I can see psilocybin getting legalized similarly as marijuana. I think that is a natural enough substance without man messing with it that people can wrap their head around that, oh, it's safe, right? Uh, when you get into LSD, it's, it is a human in a lab. That is definitely a chemical. Uh, yeah, it's yep. a human in a lab. So yeah. anytime you put that to the street, it, it makes it more dangerous. You would think that would be a motivator to get, keep it out of the street by doing it professionally. Right. But I think I think your LSD, your DMT, if DMT ever gets there, I don't. I think DMT might be a little too risky I think that's for bucking stay, the system. I think that's going to stay in the spiritual, yeah, uh, religious uh, sect. But the LSD side of it, if it gets legalized, it'll be like cocaine, right? Like it's legal, but not medically, really. Yeah, like, medically only. Yeah. So like under medical supervision in a doctor's office, we'll give you some LSD, and you got to stay here the whole time or something like that. I could see. Uh, but I think in our life, I could see psilocybin being legalized the way weed is. I think – I agree. And I, I would love to see it on the ballot, man. Um, again, this is the disclaimer. It's Again, it's not for everybody. But um, hopefully with our subjective experiences out there in the ether, people can at least take from it what they take and, and, um, and hopefully – I don't know. Carry on. Uh, try this before suicide. I, that's that's my. Yeah, and that's that's where it was. That's for really me, where it gets to. Yeah. So yeah, that's where I'd leave it off at too. Uh, as far as anything else, um, it's, I know you guys, both Jonathan and and Wofford are veterans. Um, do you guys have any resources? Maybe if people are at the end of their rope and they want to reach out, or at least maybe even uh, consider uh looking into these compounds as as maybe an off the record experience you might want to try for yourself but uh that's your decision to make uh sorry i blacked out there a little bit uh resources so resources, so resources for <laughs> veterans not for <laughs> veterans trying to get substances <laughs> right. right i did word that bad right. didn't yeah. I? Yeah. God, dang. Uh, okay so uh, if what? you are a veteran out there and you are dealing with things in your life, and you need to reach out. Uh, depending on it, what it is, obviously there are different things. Uh, psychology, like if it's mental health stuff, please call a helpline. If you can't deal with the VA, call a different one. Go there. Deal with it afterwards. Your life is more important than whatever that bill is going to be, and you're probably going to be able to talk the government into paying for it anyway. I didn't tell you that, though. Uh, so – uh, for me, PVA is the one is, – is my catch-all, man, the Paralyzed Veterans of America. Uh, I am an amputee. I am not paralyzed. I cannot be a voting member of the PVA. I can be a member. You are not a veteran. You are not injured in any way. You can be a member of the PVA. You can't be a voting member. Hmm. Uh, any veteran 
actually, I might be wrong there. You might have to be either a veteran or uh, paralyzed, and either one you can be in, but you can't vote unless you are both. However, I have never had that be an issue. Uh, when I was fighting the VA, when they tried to drop my uh, disability down, I called them. I signed a, a letter so that they could get in my stuff, and they did all of that. They scheduled me appointments off-site. They, and they even told me that if they had to, they had a lawyer uh, on retainer that they, they call up, and you don't pay anything. So PVA is always my first reach. And it's been a while since I've dealt with them. Things may have changed, but for the most part, they're good. And if they can't help you, they most definitely can point you in a direction to help you. Get things moving. Uh, I would say uh, for anybody, veteran, not, I don't care, uh, Arrowid, E-R-O-W-I-D dot org is a um, – Dude, they get they. This is a, it's just a public research library, and they just they cover everything from shit, kratom to coffee to the baddies, heroin and meth, and it's got all kinds of actual published journalistic everything on there you could ever want. If you guys are looking for research for any reason, this place has everything: research chemicals, everything, anything in the chemi- anything in the periodic table. They probably have a paper on it that's that one that's real messy though right it's not super user friendly it's not the easiest to navigate but i mean once you figure once you do it's a huge catalog yeah uh jonathan you got any resources you want to name check okay well um you got anything else no sir all right man we'll wrap her on up um again guys um for entertainment purposes only uh, not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a professional, but uh, I, I got a hell of a crazy story. I'll I'll happy to tell you. But uh, if you guys want to reach out, give us a hand with this show. Jonathan's gonna let you know how we can do that. Uh, I kind of dropped the ball. Yeah, <laughs> local earshot podcast. Uh, we run on the value for value system. That is time, talent, and treasure. We value everybody's time for listening. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of podcast apps out there. A lot of the 2.0 ones do uh, boostograms and, and other ways to like actually give us money. And some of them actually generate like money just by listening. So um, yeah, definitely go to newpodcastapps.com and check those out. Uh, and then as for talent, if you're an artist and you want to be on the show, then you can reach out to me at john at com, or you can reach out at brad at thelocalearshot on Instagram. Um, and then as for treasure, if you want to donate to the podcast, you can go over to the localyearshot.com slash donate. Uh, you'll see a bunch of tabs there. We take crypto, we take cash app, we take Bitmo, we take pretty much anything that is money. So, um, yeah, greatly appreciate it. And, uh, thanks for listening. And if you are a business and you want to do some sponsorship, then you can hit up us either at john at com or Brad on the Instagram page. So, all right, be good to one another out there. Y'all we love y'all. We'll see y'all. Bye-bye.